You know, this week, as I was preparing for this sermon, you aren't going to believe what happened. Man, I got an email. Yep. Uh, This is crazy, but I've been selected by my bank to get a $43,000 loan to buy a brand new car. (laughs) I mean, I didn't even ask for it. I wasn't even looking for it. And they emailed me and said, you've been selected, Mark Whitcomb. They even knew my name. It was amazing. If you can't tell from my sarcasm, uh, that was just a promotional email. Right? But we, we all like to receive something, right? We like gifts. We, we like to be surprised. I mean, who of us don't like to get a gift when it's not our birthday? To receive a surprise when it's not Christmas yet, right? To, to be surprised by something fun and exciting that encourages us and blesses us. That's something that we'd all like to have, right? To be chosen to be a part of something we never expected to be a part of. We experience that from being a little child all the way up to adulthood. That applies to all of us, the excitement of being included. And it brightens our day. It gives us motivation. It kind of gives a turn to life that we can be exciting and joyful about what's happening because I got included in something that I wasn't expecting to be a part of. It actually changes the way that I think about maybe that day or the week, right? It changes my demeanor, my happiness, my joy. Well, today we're going to consider in the Bible a story about some boys who were included in something that they never planned on or expected to be included in. They were going to receive something that they actually had no right to receive, so to speak. It was undeserved. And I want us asking ourselves as we look at this story today, thinking, what have I received that I didn't deserve? And has it changed the way that I live? There's really one main idea that I want us to get from the text today as we spend this time together over the next few minutes. It is this idea. By faith, the undeserving are included in God's greater blessing. By faith, the undeserving are included in God's greater blessing. We're going to continue on in a series that I've been doing from time to time as we look at characters from the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. But we're looking at their Old Testament context. And so we are going to be in uh, Genesis 48. I would encourage you uh, to turn there in your Bibles if you haven't already. Genesis 48. Uh, for those of you that aren't used to using a Bible, Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. So it'll be easy to find. Uh, you can just start at the beginning and start flipping until you find Genesis 48. You know, in the last sermon that I preached, we were focused on a man named Jacob and his brother Esau and some of the conflict there uh, where their father, Isaac, gave them, uh, gave uh, Jacob this blessing. Well, today we're going to fast forward all the way to the end of Jacob's life. And a lot, I mean a lot, has transpired. All right, I wish we had time to cover all of it, but to helpfully summarize, Jacob had 12 sons. One of them got lost in Egypt for a long time. He thought he was dead. And lo and behold, he finds his son and finds out his son has sons. And we find Jacob on his deathbed in our text today, Genesis 48. And as we look at this text, there's really two main ideas I want us to kind of grab hold of and think about. That Jacob's faith in God leads to an unexpected inclusion and an undeserved blessing. 
And so follow along with me in the text. I'm just going to read the first half of this text. Genesis 48, verses 1 through 12. Some time after this, Joseph was told, Your father is weaker. So he set out with his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. When Jacob was told, Your son Joseph has come to you, Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He said to me, I will make you fruitful and numerous. I will make many nations come from you, and I will give this land as a permanent possession to your future descendants. Your two sons born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are now mine. Ephraim and Manasseh belong to me just as Reuben and Simeon do. Children born to you after them will be yours and will be recorded under the names of their brothers with regard to their inheritance. When I was returning from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died along the way, some distance from Ephrath in the land of Canaan. I buried her there along the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons. God has given me here. So Israel said, Bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now his eyesight was poor because of old age. He could hardly see them. Joseph brought them to him, and he kissed and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, but now God has even let me see your offspring. And Joseph took them from his father's knees and bowed with his face to the ground. We're going to begin looking here at the first 12 verses, thinking about an unexpected inclusion. You know, Joseph, here being the second in charge in Egypt, hears of his father's health is declining, and he makes this trip to go see Jacob, to go see his father who is physically weak and at the end of his life. And he takes his two sons with him, and they travel to visit this old man on his deathbed. Jacob here also referred to Israel. If you didn't catch that, you can read about that name change in Genesis 35, a few chapters earlier. Jacob here sits up and summons his strength to sit up in bed and welcome his son, and two grandsons. Now, it might strike you as odd, verses 3 through 7, in some ways don't exactly seem to fit, right? Uh, It it seems just a a little bit strange that now Jacob is talking to Joseph when he kind of of had this monologue. Uh, I I just want us to highlight the fact that uh, here the narrator is giving us some insight to a conversation that was had between Jacob and his son Joseph on his intentions Uh, having found out that he has two grandsons. And so he explains, look, here's some of the history. Son, Joseph, when I was in this land of Luz, that is Bethel, all right, hopefully a familiar name for many of us here. In In this place of Bethel, in the land of Canaan, God blessed me, and he recounts God's blessing, that God would make him fruitful and numerous, that he would increase his tribe to be a nation, and that he would give him a land. And now Jacob recognizes and says, actually, even in that blessing, I've now found out that there were two grandsons in Egypt that I didn't know until I found you. And these two grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh, they belong to me just as much as my oldest two sons, Reuben and Simeon. Right here is an unexpected act by Jacob that he would include two grandsons in the same type of blessing that he had given to his own sons. 
to actually name them with the two firstborn of his own household. He has included them in this blessing. And why exactly has he done that? Well, we get a little bit of a description here in verse 7. Jacob is mourning the loss of his wife, Rachel, that she died in childbirth for their youngest son, Benjamin. And there was no opportunity then for Jacob to have more children through Rachel. And so he has, in essence, adopted these two sons into his own family to say, no, they are part of this inheritance and part of this lineage. Your sons, Joseph, I will include. And they will actually be included in the same type of inheritance that their uncles receive. A division of the land that we find out later. As we continue to read the Bible, we find out, yes, the land was divided, and these two brothers, they were given land just like all of their uncles, divided out into the people of Israel. And so it is with this surprising and unexpected inclusion that these two grandsons are now included in the blessing. And so we return to the narrative in verse 8. Israel sees Joseph and his sons approaching, and he says, who are these? Well, Joseph introduces his sons. These are the sons that God has given me here in Egypt. And what does Jacob do? He says, well, he embraces them, he kisses them, he says, I never expected to see your face, much less my grandsons. God has even now let me see my offspring. Here is a further affirmation that Jacob knows very well what he is doing, including these grandsons in this inheritance, welcoming them into the family. Those who grew up in Egypt and had no knowledge of this blessing from God, who had no experience of this blessing through Jacob, these were children of Egypt. And now they are being welcomed in to the family of Israel to be Jacob's grandsons and receive in the inheritance of his own sons. What an unexpected inclusion. I trust what a joyful thing for these boys, right? That they would be excited to hear that they are going to receive something they never expected or never planned on. What an unexpected blessing from God. Jacob just dreamed of even finding out that his son Joseph was alive, and now he finds out he has grandsons. What a blessing to him and him welcoming them into the family. I wonder, as you listen to this story, if you can place yourself in the seat of these two boys. Can you imagine being them? Meeting this new grandfather? Being welcomed into an inheritance that is from the God of the universe? Who has promised this family land and a people and a name? Like, that's pretty wild. I wonder if, for you, you would desire to be included in such a promise. I wonder if your heart kind of gets overwhelmed thinking, man, I, I would love to be a part of that. I would love to be included in such a blessing. My family didn't give me anything. You know, I, I don't know what your family circumstance is, but to look at these boys and realize what they were included in. Would you want the God of the universe to bless you in such a way? Well, not only were these boys unexpected for Jacob, but he unexpectedly includes them in the family blessing. 
But I want us to see that it was really, as they're included in God's blessing, not anything that they deserved. And so I want us secondly to look at this undeserved greater blessing. So follow along with me as I read in verses 13 to 22, the end of the chapter. Then Joseph took them both with his right hand, Ephraim towards Israel's left, and with his left hand, Manasseh towards Israel's right, and brought them to Israel. But Israel stretched out his hand, his right hand, and put it on the head of Ephraim, the younger, and crossing his hands, put his left hand on Manasseh's head, although Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, the God whom, uh, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys, and may they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow to be numerous within the land. When Joseph saw that his father had placed his right hand on Ephraim's head, he thought it was a mistake and took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's. Joseph said to his father, not that way, my father, this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a tribe, and he too will be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his offspring will become a populous nation. So he blessed them that day, putting Ephraim before Manasseh, when he said, The nation Israel will invoke blessings by you, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Israel said to Joseph, Look, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you back to the land of your fathers. Over and above what I am giving your brothers, I am giving you the one mountain slope that I took from the Amorites with my sword and bow. So here in the second part of this story, we see Jacob taking these boys and, and actually Joseph placing them in front of Jacob and actually quite strategically placing them so that naturally his father's right hand would land on the firstborn and his father's left hand would land on the secondborn. And yet, we see that actually Jacob does something different. He crosses his hands and puts his right hand on Ephraim's head and his left hand on Manasseh. Here in what we recognize as this ceremony of blessing that would have been quite common to the people of this day and this time, that the father of this family would lay his hands on these children, pronouncing the blessing, and yet the surprising aspect that Jacob does something that no one expected him to do, to switch his hands and to give a greater blessing to Ephraim. And here at the beginning of the blessing, we see that he pronounces from God himself, who walked with his forefathers, who was a shepherd to Jacob in his life, the angel, this description of God himself, come down, redeemed Jacob from all harm. He's saying, may this God bless these boys and that they would be called by my name. And Joseph tries to encourage his father, no, switch your hands. You've got it mixed up. And Jacob says, no, what I have done, I have done on purpose. I think on a lighter note, I can't help but think Joseph must have been mildly embarrassed in this situation, trying to correct his father and his weakened eyesight to say, Dad, you got it wrong. And Jacob says, no, son, you have misunderstood. I will give a greater blessing 
to the second son. And why? Well, this wasn't deserved. Ephraim hasn't done anything. He didn't do a bunch of great works that Jacob was impressed by. This is presumably just a young boy. He hasn't done anything to deserve this extra blessing, that he would have a greater name and a greater family established. I mean, to be honest, neither of these boys deserve to be included whatsoever, right? They were in the land of Egypt, unknown to this patriarch of the family. And not only are they both included, but now the youngest is given precedence over the eldest. But I also don't want us to miss the last two verses, 21 and 22, that Jacob not only blesses the, eld- or the youngest son over the eldest, but he gives his almost youngest son, Joseph, his favored son, this additional land, right? Over and above what I'm giving to your brothers, I'm going to give you this mountain slope. The son who once received from his father this favored, beautiful cloak that showed precedence over all of his other brothers is now rediscovered and brought back into the family and given extra land. This undeserved gift because his father loved him and determined in his heart that he would give this gift to Joseph. And so all throughout this second part of the text, we see undeserved gifts that were given to the youngest of the family, not the eldest. It would cause us to stop and to think, why? Why would they be given these gifts? Well, to be frank, I don't exactly know. I'd love to have some great argument that they were super suave guys, really powerful, super likable, did lots of nice things. The reality is, Jacob decided to give these gifts to these boys in this order. And we're told in Hebrews eleven twenty one that actually Jacob did this by faith. It was by faith that he gave a blessing to Joseph and his sons. Faith that God would work out this blessing, not in the order that everyone else expected, but in an unexpected and undeserving way to the boys and his family. And so that is the story of Jacob offering blessings for his sons. I hope that is helpful and meaningful in your life. Would be a terrible way to end this sermon. <laughs> All right? We recognize in a text like this, there, there isn't a lot of go and do likewise, right? I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, go lay your hands on your youngest child and bless them. I mean, that's fine. You can do that. Right? I'm not going to stand up here and say, well, if you're the youngest kid, you got something waiting for you that you never expected. There are all sorts of terrible ways we could apply this text. And what I want to do with really the rest of my time this morning is help settle us into what does it mean that these boys were unexpectedly included in this blessing from God and that they did not deserve it at all? How does that change the way you and I live today and tomorrow? And so I'm going to walk through three points of application out of this text. First, recognize the giver of the greater blessing. I want us to look at this text and 
see all throughout who is actually giving the blessing. I, I get it. Jacob is the one who is speaking, right? And, and he is welcoming these sons into this blessing and he is pronouncing it. But he is doing that on behalf of someone else, is he not? Right? We see in, in verse 3 that God is the one who gives the blessing to Jacob. We see in, in verse 9, Joseph admits, these are the sons given to me here by God himself. We see in verse 16, may God bless these boys. Verse 20, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. That's what the nation should be proclaiming is God has done this. In verse 21, God who will be with Joseph. Right here is the proclamation all throughout that I hope you didn't miss. As much as Jacob is the one taking action to speak these words, it is God himself who will work out these blessings in the lives of these men. How is Jacob so sure that God is going to accomplish these blessings? How is he so sure that a greater blessing will be given? Well, I would draw your attention to verse 15, which I think by no mistake is included at the beginning of the blessing and is actually the only uh, really section of the blessing that we're told. Like, we're told in, in, uh, later in the text that uh, Jacob indeed blessed these boys, but to have the language of the blessing spelled out in this way in verse 15, who is it that was at work? The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. Oh, Jacob was confident in giving this blessing because God walked with him. That he knew God in a personal relationship who had walked with his grandfather and his father. Oh, but it wasn't just that God was present with him, but that God was his shepherd every day of his life. This one who watched over him and cared for him. Oh, but not just any shepherd. No, a, a shepherd who saved him and redeemed him. Here's the description that gives Jacob all the confidence in the world to say, this is God's blessing that he's given to my family and I continue to hand down to those generations after me. It is the God who has walked with us, who has been our shepherd and who redeem, redeems us. And it's no surprise that Jacob would take great trust in God's promise and blessing. He's seen it. He's experienced it. Being in the land and receiving his beloved son back from the land of Egypt. Right? This is recognizable for all of us. We trust the ones that we know the best. Right? Those in our lives that we know best and we have an intimate relationship with and we know that they care for us and love us are the ones we most easily trust. And here Jacob expressing his trust in God because God walked with him. And God was his shepherd and God redeemed him. And so I'd pose the question to you. Same question I have to ask myself. How do I know that God's going to accomplish these blessings for his people? As Dan reminded us last week, how do I have confidence that God is going to do this? Well, my friends, that's because God has been with his people. He has walked with his people. God has been a shepherd to his people, and he has redeemed his people. 
God came to this earth as Jesus Christ, the God-man sent here in person. This is the same Jesus that we just heard about in the scripture reading from Jared in in John chapter 4. The one who sat at a well on the land that in this text we're told Jacob gave to his son Joseph. It is that land where Jesus himself sat and said, if you want water that is living, that gives eternal life, I will give it to you. Jesus himself in his ministry proclaimed in John 10 that he was the good shepherd who came to save the lost sheep. In Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus said that he came to give his life as a ransom to redeem all who would trust in him. Friends, here is how we have confidence in what God has promised and a blessing to all people is that he has shown up on this earth as Lord and Savior, as the one who walked with us and is our shepherd and has redeemed us. The one in whom we have salvation from the penalty of sin. Jesus Christ living a perfect life, dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and raising to new life from the grave. This is the Jesus the God who has saved us and brought an unmeasurable blessing to us. We recognize the giver of the greater blessing is Jesus Christ himself, who has called us to himself and said, anyone who confesses with their mouth and believes that I am Lord and Savior will have eternal life, that we would repent of sin and turn to him. And Jesus just hasn't given a promise of physical land of a people under the name of Israel. No, Jesus has done something greater. Jesus' blessing that he offers to you and me is the blessing and promise of an eternal kingdom, of an eternal people all called by his name, a family brought together. And he has given us himself for eternity. There is no greater blessing, there is no greater gift that could be given to any of us than the gift of Jesus Christ himself. And so I wonder if you have called on Jesus, if you have trusted in him, the one who died on the cross for our sins, the one who rose from the dead in victory over sin and death, that we might know life eternal. Do you have faith in him? Because in this text, Jacob didn't just have a blind faith. Oh, his eyes physically might be failing. But his faith was in the God who walked with him, was his shepherd and redeemer. And so we receive this blessing, friends, not because someone prays it over us or just speaks it to us. We don't receive this blessing by thinking it's really good and just thinking about it a lot. We don't receive this blessing by living a good enough life. No, we receive this blessing by faith that we would trust in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So friends, if you are here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, I want to challenge you and encourage you. Come, talk to me. Talk to somebody here in this room that you came with or that you know. Listen to the message of the gospel that we might be able to tell you what it means to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and how that changes the way that you live how it changes your life from now until eternity. But for those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, what does this mean? 
Well, second point of application. Remember your undeserved inclusion in the blessing. See, for those of us who have professed faith in Jesus Christ, it might be easy for us to forget what we have been included in. Let me remind you how unbelievable this blessing is and how much there was nothing you did to deserve it, that you were welcomed into this family by no merit of your own. We did not accomplish anything worthy of eternal blessing, friends, and we can't forget that. And we can't be physically born into the right family to be saved. All right, kids, especially in this room, let me remind you, all right, you don't become a Christian because your parents are here at church, right? You aren't a Christian because you came to church with them because your parents say that they're Christians. No, kids, you, you as well need to have faith in Jesus Christ that he saved you, that he died on the cross for you and for your sins not just you as a family. None of us deserve to come into this, no matter our family, no matter how much good we have done, no matter how great we are. We are offered salvation and brought into God's family by his grace and mercy alone. And so I wonder how you've been thinking about your salvation recently. Do you live out your faith as if you had to do enough to earn salvation? And so you got to keep doing more good just to stay in God's good graces? I mean, I get it. We, we never say that out loud, right? We, we never say out loud that I assume responsibility that I've received faith because I did a lot of good. But we live like it sometimes. We of all people should be well aware of our own shortcomings, our own need for mercy of God's kindness that God would bestow this blessing on us. And so we as Christians fight pride in our own lives to take credit for salvation. We, we give thanks in our own hearts as we grow in our affection of what God has accomplished for us. We respond with gratitude, praising God. So how quickly do you give praise to God when complimented for even your own godly living? Right? Do you take opportunity to say, well, praise God for that, that you have recognized in me? as you do something good. It is God who has called you and sanctified and blessed you, and therefore we give God all the praise and the honor and the glory. This isn't a surprise to any of us. We all have been trained up in some form of fashion, whether you had parents or you have been or are parents. Uh, we recognize parents are often telling kids, hey, you should say thank you for that. Right? Write a thank you card for that wonderful gift that you've received. All right? This is something that we're all pressed on just in practical life and society. You should give thanks. You should be grateful and, and express your gratitude when somebody gives you a gift. And yet as Christians, how often are we singing the praises of God to one another, telling others, can you believe what God has done? He has included me in something. He has brought me into something that I didn't deserve. I did nothing to gain it. I have done nothing to keep it. It is God himself who has done a work. And I have faith that he continues to do that work. Right? It is to give God praise in how we sing and how we proclaim the message of the gospel to the world around us. And so very practically, I would challenge you this week, set aside time to spend time thanking God and praising God for the gift of salvation. 
that you would express in your heart gratitude to the Lord. But I would also challenge you to tell someone else, pick someone even right now, that you want to tell this week how thankful you are for God's kind blessing in your own life, the blessing of salvation. But I also want us to remember in this idea that we have undeservedly been included in God's blessing. Is that we need to be quick to recognize that we cannot judge others as if they aren't good enough to be a part of this blessing. This blessing is offered to all who would receive it, who would confess with their mouth that the Lord Jesus is God and that he has saved us. And I wonder in your life if you've thought of anyone recently that you just thought, yeah, they can't receive the gospel. Or maybe it's because they've heard it too many times and they've, it's just done. Or maybe they're just not morally good enough. Oh, that person, they're a terrible person. They could never receive God's blessing. Maybe it has to do with their social standing or their family name. Maybe it has to do with their ethnicity and their skin color, that they're unlike you and, well, the gospel didn't go there. I would challenge us that very few of us in this room are Jews who have been handed down through our lineage this blessing. Friends, we are outsiders who have been welcomed in. All of us undeservedly have been brought into this family if we have professed faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, shame on us if we are not ones who are going out proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ to every tribe, to every tongue, in every nation, no matter what ethnicity, skin color, social status, or family they come from. That we would be ones who want to proclaim the gospel so that we can see all people standing before the throne of God, proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ, proclaiming the glories of God for eternity. This is what heaven will look like. Should we not practice that in our own life today? That no matter who we walk past and who we work with and who is in our neighborhood and in our family, that we would share the gospel with them. That they too might partake in the wonderful, miraculous, undeserved blessing of the gospel. That we would preach the gospel with joy to everyone hopeful that God would work in their heart to call them to himself, that they would believe in faith and trust in him. And so, friends, maybe we need to start with repenting of our own prejudices that we set up in our heart. And then we can follow up with sharing the gospel message with everyone that the Lord allows into our life. So I'd encourage you to find a brother or sister who is most unlike you in this congregation, and encourage them that they as well share in the gospel blessing that Jesus Christ has given to us. That you can rejoice that they are a part of the kingdom with you and alongside of you, and that we get to live this out together. Remember that you and I each have been invited unexpectedly into this family undeservedly. And I would challenge us to remember the identity of this family. We are all brought together, oh yeah, very different in many, many ways, brought together in a family, family of God. Even being proclaimed in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul that there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. 
that our identity is found in Christ as we come together. Friends, this is one of the joys of coming together as a local body here in the church, that we would be a display to the world, that we are family, that we are brought together and we love one another because our identity is not in what I do or who I am as a person in this world, but that my identity is in Jesus Christ, that I am found in him and I want others to see that. And so we recognize for ourselves We need to remember that we have come into this greater blessing by no merit of our own. Third point of application, and lastly, we need to respond in faith. If it was by faith that the undeserving are included in God's greater blessing, what does it look like for our faith to be lived out? Well, I trust that you haven't felt that I've given you a bunch of commands here of saying this is how you have to live your faith out by doing X, Y, and Z. If that's part of what you're feeling, I want to challenge you with actually how we rest in God. We rest in his goodness. We trust in him and therefore we dwell on him. Commit to reading God's word and dwelling on the promises he has offered to you. Dwell on his character that he is with us, that he is our shepherd, that he has redeemed us. I promise you, as you dwell on God's character, you will not lack in trust of who he is because he cannot change. He cannot be anything other than what he has told us he is in his word. And so study to know these promises. Rest in God's word. Dwell in his word. Study to know God's character. Friends, grow in your affection for the Lord. This week, you love God because of what he's done for you. Friends, let that be your faith working itself out that you would trust him more and more. Remember earlier in the sermon, I talked about how it's easy for us to trust those that we know really well, that that we know that they love us. It's the same with our faith. Oh, that we would have faith in God's work, what he's promised to do for us, to bless us, because we know that he loves us, that he has given us more than just a physical land or a physical family or physical blessing in this life. Know that God loved us so much that he gave us eternal blessing, that we look forward to and we hope for and we set our eyes on. That is faith of what we don't see in front of us, right? To trust that that is what God has done for us as he's promised in his word. And in this life, finding my purpose and my identity in all that he has called me to. That he is the one who has saved me by his grace. And so my faith is lived out as I study to know the Lord. And I allow my knowledge of God and my trust in him to change my hope, my identity in this world, that it would be found in Christ, the giver of the greater blessing. So friends, we look at this story of Jacob and his grandsons and his son. Blessings that were given undeservedly, unexpectedly. And I want to take you back to the questions I asked at the very beginning. What have you received that you didn't deserve? 
And how has that changed the way that you think about this life? Living in faith. Because God has given you the greatest blessing that we can know. Eternal life. Life with him. Being called by his name, Christian. We'd follow after him, a child of God. And so by faith, the undeserving have been included in God's greater blessing. My friends, that is you, that is me. Do you join me in prayer? God, we come before you this morning assured of your love and your goodness for us because you have given us your son, Jesus Christ. And so we remember his sacrifice. We remember his death and his resurrection. And we rejoice in your blessing to us that you have called us to be your children. And we ask for strength to live by faith, that it would change our identity and our hope in this life. We would rest assured of your good work in us and through us. And so, Lord, strengthen our faith in you, that we might glorify your name in all that we say and do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.